Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 130. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Don't you just wish there was an easier way to count your inventory and send your orders? Well, you are in luck because that system does exist and it's called ChefSheet. And you can start using it today by going to www.chefsheet.com. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Richard DeSisto. Richard, are you feeling unstoppable today? Yes, I'm trying. I'm fighting <laughs> through this cold flu thing, but I'm feeling good. Well, you are a much appreciated. Thank you so much for coming on the show and you're feeling under the weather. Uh, we all do appreciate you. So let me just give a quick introduction, Richard, and I'll pass it over. Hailing from New York, Richard DeSisto is the principal of Vantage Restaurant Group, DeSisto's move west was driven by his desire to recreate his family's restaurant business, and he's been doing a great job so far. Today, the Vantage Restaurant Group is most well-known for Tipple and Brian in Tunnel Bar, both of which have been receiving great accolades from sources like Los Angeles Times, Zagat, Thrillist, CBS, and the USA Today. Richard, this is an extreme overview of you and your restaurants. Um, I'm going to pass it over to you now, but first, before we get your story, let's get that motivational and inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Well, kind of, kind of keep it simple. Uh, Sir Wayne Gretzky made a very simple quote that I think pretty much you could live and die on. His, so my success quote, I guess, if there was one, would be, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. As far as a mantra goes, a mantra would be I attribute my success to this. I never gave or took any excuse, and that was Florence Nightingale. So those are two things I kind of live by. Awesome. And what about that first quote really resonates the most with you? Listen, this, this, you know, this, this business, uh, it's almost like a sport. you got to really love it. This yeah. is not for the, the faint of heart. This is not for people that think that it doesn't go beyond your creative side. This is a business, and uh, it'll test you. It'll test your family. It'll test everything. Mm -hmm. This one is one that really puts you, puts you through the ringer, front to back, top to bottom, and you really got to be up for the test. But it's also one of those things, no different than acting, I guess, or writing or producing or doing something like that, becoming a professional athlete. He goes, you know, you got to get in there and take a shot with this business. Absolutely. You just got to let it go. You just got to let it go at some point. That's it. Because you'll kill yourself if you don't let it go at one point. And that's, mm -hmm. that's it. Get it in there. Get it done. Take your shot. I love it. Yeah, and I think so many people, there's so many people who have those aspirations, but so many of us are just afraid to pull the trigger, and, and your dreams won't come true unless you dive in. And I think that's just a great quick quote that kind of, you know, expresses that. Awesome stuff. So, Let's learn more about you. Tell me about when you knew this industry was going to be more than just a job, but your career. Can you bring us down like to a moment or an experience where it just all like came together? Yeah, New Rochelle, New York. I probably could go back to 1968. Um, my grandparents came from Italy. Uh, actually, both grandfathers came over somewhere around the same time in the late 40s when they got to this country, like a lot of Italian immigrants. 
they were thrown into a corner of the Bronx where they're all stuffed in there, like, you know, animals put in a corner. And what they did was a lot of them got up and, and uh, began to take, take hold and begin the journey of building a life here in this country. And coincidentally, as both of them got, in, uh, got through peddling and working like every other immigrant that came to this country, they uh, wound up moving into both without knowing each other, only about three miles from each other, uh, moved into these tenements. And in these tenements, which they both eventually bought years and years later from the people, the landlords that owned them back then in the early 50s, each one had a little sort of Italian like a little bar restaurant attached to it, okay? And back then, things were very simple. Um, you know, your quarter, 50 cents, give you a little glass of whiskey or something for the men after work. Eventually, my grandfathers, I imagine, both realized that, hmm, when the economies were bad and when there was no work, there were wars going on, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on in the country. They always realized, and no matter how things bad things were, they could always make a, a nickel and a dime, or as you just say, they could always make a quarter or two selling a glass of whiskey to a working-class guy, whether he was in work or out of work. Mm-hmm. They always, had, always found money to come and get a bite to eat, always found money to, to come and get a glass of whiskey in the neighborhood, and, and they started to, I guess, think about that. So when they bought these tenements, <clears throat> we moved our family into them, you know, typical Italian thing. Everybody lived on top of everybody else, <laughs> sharing rooms and all that stuff. Uh, one day, you know, uh, long before I knew, I was um, noticed that I could smell out of the back door of my uh, tenement, the apartment uh, house I was living in with my grandparents and everybody else, out one door was my house, and, and, you know, 50 feet over was the back door to the the restaurant. And it had now become like more of an Italian, a small Italian restaurant, peasant foods, and, you know, like whiskey. So it was split in half. So I used to go, I used to look over there to the back, uh, the other side of the backyard, and one day I ventured over there. I must have been four or five years old, and I just walked that extra 25, 30 feet I never went and knocked on the other door, and uh, it was the back door to the kitchen. I remember it was an old screen door, and I said, um, I don't know if I said, hey, Big Pete, Big Pete, because there was a Big Pete and a Little Pete in there, <laughs> and I said, could I have some... You guys have any? Can I have some pizza dough or something like that? And he he came back to the door. Of course, they knew who I you know who knew all the cooks knew who I was, and he handed me a, a pizza dough, and he handed me a little dough ball, and I went running off with the pizza dough. And of course, I was playing with it and eating it. And you know, back then you know, we never worried about getting sick on anything. Yeah. It wasn't like today. And I remember eating the pizza dough and playing with the pizza dough, and I could smell the pizza dough, and I had a, I could always smell the, the food smell coming out of both back doors. And I think that was the day that it, it was set in motion that I would one day be in this business. But I'd say it was 1968 is when oh, I really wow. got the first 69, the first taste and smell of it. And then I was at that door every day. Can I have some pizza dough? Can I have some pizza dough? And then you start to stretch it and pull it and stretch it. And before you know it, you don't even know. That's what they do to make a pie back then, right? You don't know they stretch and pull yeah, it. They're, that. they're training you is what was going on. You didn't even know it. <laughs> Yeah. Now, not that I can make a pizza, a pizza, uh, a great pie worth the shit today, but there was a moment when I could, you know, toss a little bit of dough as late years went on and I began working in pizzeria and stuff like that. But right. that's probably when it started for me. And it's been a long journey um, since then. It's taken a, it's taken a hell of a, a, a twist and turns. And I've been doing this for almost 36 years on and off. And you, you told us about the experience when you just knew, but what was it exactly, Richard, that just that you loved about it? Was it the smells? Was it the way people were acting? Like, what was it exactly? 
Well, what I liked about it is when I got a little older, I well, we always had family things. Like, we'd go as a family next door to eat. So we'd sit down and eat. And what I loved is, you know, and my mother spent the whole night going, you know, Ricky, sit still. You sit still. Stay in your chair. You know, but I was <laughs> loving that there were all the people from the neighborhood that I knew. By the time I was five, six, seven, eight years old, all, all of the families came in there. Right. And I'm like, oh, there's my uncle, you know, this, there's my uncle Frank, and there's my uncle Vinny, and there's this one, and there's, 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 from down the street, and there's uh, Florence, and my aunt Florence, and Uncle Aunt Teresa, and there's my neighbors, Paulie and Petey and Mario, and they were, you know, and everyone you see throughout the week, their moms and their dads, you know, they'd be going out for a little, a little dinner or something like that, and we were that neighborhood restaurant type of thing. So I started going, well, this is, I, I can't put it into words what I was thinking at six years old, but in my mind, I look back and what I was, what I loved was everybody coming together. I love and, it. It's unfortunate. It's fortunately for me. It's what I love till this day, which is seeing people smile and be together and mm. interact. Which, which is, which, to some degrees, awesome. almost become part of a lost art in this business right now. But that's still what gears me up for it. I love it, man, and that's exactly what does it for me. So I'm super resonating with your story, <laughs> and I think you did a great job of bringing us right to that moment. I think we're all just kind of feeling it right now. Great stuff. So now that we got to know you um, and how you got into the industry and how you start to you know, fall in love, bring us into some of, you know, your current visions and cultures with what you have going on with Vantage Restaurant Group. Well, Vantage Restaurant Group is, it's pretty new, actually. It's as new as my latest project. So I'm, I'm in the middle of my latest project now. I started it out with, well, basically, um, back up for one second. Yeah. I've been cultivating a couple of small businesses I had up here. <clears throat> and I started to see that these two restaurants and bars that I have up here are giving me the opportunity to win over my landlords and everything. They started to like me. So what mm -hmm. I started to do was lease more and more of the retail spaces. Eventually, I tied up about 300 feet of boulevard space, giving me something nobody else probably in Los Angeles has, especially a small-time guy like me. So I've got four buildings in a row, plus all the parking and everything I've tied up over four years now. And what I did was I took two other bar restaurants that I had, and I closed them down about a year ago, about eight months ago, to make way for four new brands. So what I had really designed, designed was a dream project for myself, mm. to build a destination. And then basically you'd park your car, in this big lot, you pull into valet parking, and you'd have four options to go to. And there'd be four different concepts, four different things, and I would really be able to express myself creatively mm -hmm. because I'd definitely come into this more, almost more of an artist than a businessman. Mm -hmm. That's what I prefer. And I set in motion to open Tipple & Brine, which opened to screaming reviews here in Los Angeles, and then Tunnel Bar Lounge, which has really been received very, very well. I'm in the middle of building as we speak. If I open the door, you'd be able to hear it. Um, downtown Johnny's, which is another one I have coming, and the 29th of uh, April. And then about two and a half to three, about three months after downtown Johnny's, I'm opening a place called the Urban Oven uh, with a guy named Scott Tremonti, another Italian kid whose family's from the East Coast as well. We're going we're gonna to bring our, our, our sort of our creative forces together, him and I, and we're going to create an amazing brand that's a hybrid of uh, my brand that I had in mind and his and a concept that he has, which is pretty amazing. So that'll give us four 
uh, bars and bar restaurants all in about 16 months, which is pretty ambitious. And again, I say for a, a guy of my size, I'm not one of the big restaurant guys in this town. So it's very, very ambitious and a very, uh, very big task for someone like myself. But if you want to be successful, you need to be ambitious. I think one of my favorite quotes was Mario Andretti says, if you have control, you're not going fast enough. So, I mean, I think what you're doing is a perfect example of that. And I would love to hear more about your restaurants, but this podcast is more about the person and what makes you successful because we want to recreate your habits, your characteristics, so we too can be successful. So, Richard, if you, if you could, like, narrow it down to, like, a couple it factors, your habits, your characteristics that you believe most contribute to your success. Well, I just got back from Vegas. It's where you actually, when you got a hold of me the other day, I was in Vegas. And I was uh, talking to, I was actually walking the show floor, and I was talking to John Taffer's wife. She's wonderful. And I, um, somebody came up behind me, guy that uh, works, works for me sometimes, and he says, made a comment like, that guy, see this guy right here? He goes, this guy's like a living, breathing version of your, your husband or something like that, he said. <laughs> He said he's the, he's the unknown taffer, and uh, they were making jokes. He screams and yells like everybody else. He was funny, laughing, and he walked, walked away. So for me, you know, for me it's about just uh, just getting it done. Um, you know, I, you know, for me, it's my, what my grand, I think my grandfather once said, I didn't know them very well. It was, they were pretty young when they died. Sick days used to be for sick people, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they're not anymore. We live in a world with sick days and vacation time and all this other stuff. For me, it's about getting up, getting it done, no excuses, get to work, stay the course. Money does not sleep. That's why I don't sleep. And, you know, look, look to the people out there that are doing great things. That's the people that are getting it done. That's the only people I look to are people that are getting stuff done. I don't want to, that's it for me. I don't look at anybody else. I don't get caught up in any of the other stuff. That guy's getting something done. He may own a friggin' uh, a little mom and pop store down the street, but I see he's rocking and rolling and getting it done. That's the guy that I look to and go, whatever he's doing, that's what I want to do. Whatever that guy's doing, that's what I want to do. For me, there are people in this town that definitely look to me, and they look to me one way. The same way to look at a guy like John Taffer. That kid does not sleep. That kid does not take no for an answer. That kid is about getting it done. Because when you are independent, when you are a guy like me, where am I going to get the next? Where am I going to get that next half a million million to get that next store renovated? Where am I going to get that next? <clears throat> that opportunity is going to come up in a world where you're swimming with sharks. They have the money, the cash to throw down here in Los Angeles to get everything. I got to find a way to sneak under the grass, through the grass somewhere to find those deals. I've got to do twice as hard, three times as hard the amount of work to get, just find that deal for myself and make it happen. But long before I can go out there, raise the capital and do this and do that. So for me, it's just about no stopping, no sleeping, get it done, get the work done, and only look to people that are, are, are like-minded as far as I can see. That's why I just patterned myself after anyone that's successful and keeps moving. I love it. So some of the things that were done that could kind of go along with getting it done are just being goal-oriented, having that work ethic, and just being proactive and finding ways to get it done. Um, I also wrote down creative, and I circled it because you said some guys out there have the money they can just throw at it, but you got to find your way. you got to find that creative way to get what you want done. So how – I mean, tell us about maybe – can you think of a story of the, about how you got creative to – 
to find a way to kind of use that frontal lobe of yours to think of a possibility to, to get to where you want to go? Well, listen, when you talk about the word creative, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, my driving force is where my creative force comes from. My parents didn't live long enough to see anything that I personally accomplished in this business, which is a lot in the last 11, 12 years. I've done most of my life's work between 40 and 50 years old. Um, all my restaurants, bars, lounges, everything I've done. I build and design every single thing I have. What did I get and where did I get it? I got my creative side from my mother. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be an artist. She wasn't allowed to be an artist. Um, she was only allowed to be a mother, get out of the house, have kids, and do her thing. But I remember all the painting and teaching us to be artistic and stuff like that. And she always put, made sure she helped me in my art projects and all that stuff. What did I get from my father? My father was a working-class contractor. So I was around building and designing a building and, and, and arch- architecture and framing and, and concrete work. And my father had me operating a backhoe by the time I was 13, 14 years old back in there. I'd be out there on that big machine swinging that arm around. My father teach me how to dig a hole. My uncles teach me how to frame a house. And somewhere in the middle, I really loved what I still love today is building and designing even houses and developing property. That's something I really love. So somewhere along the journey, there was a really burgeoning sort of creative side to me. And I just didn't know how to express myself, especially being a, you know, as I call a guido from New York. There wasn't a lot of, like, branching out. If anything, you want to do anything artistic, people would have looked at you sideways, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was kind of trapped inside of me. That's how I wound up in L.A. I literally got on a plane one day. So there's got to be something more than me just doing what my dad did, which I totally respect. You know, I didn't want to just be a plumber or, a, or an electrician or a contractor or a guy doing uh, landscape or anything. I just, you know, something was more in me. But yet, it's all that basic knowledge that I picked up along the way that affords me the opportunity to build and design everything that I own. So when I walk onto a property on my own, Okay, and when I made that move for the first time, okay, I'm a guy that walked into a, my first restaurant doing 149 dollars after losing both of my parents and bought that restaurant with 149 dollars, so to speak. So now there's most, a lot. Going. Most people would look at that and say, "There's no way you can do that," but you look at it and say, "This is totally possible," and that's kind of what I'm getting at. So, I mean, how did you make it possible? Well, here's how you make it possible. Sometimes you got to summon up. Things that go on in your personal life, which people are going to find out how integrated your personal life will become with your restaurant business, okay? For me, again, I haven't lost my mother and father right at the same time. <clears throat> I, uh, a year later, after I took care of their affairs, I was back in Los Angeles and I was broke. I lost everything. I had a successful contracting and design company. And I, at that, in those talkative years, I was focused more on contracting and design than I was being in, in the bar business and all that stuff, okay? And I always knew that I wanted to come back to it. And I spent a year sitting at a coffee shop in, uh, here in Studio City, California, and I was depressed, and I sat alone. And I couldn't get, I really couldn't, I couldn't get my head out of the sand. The hit was too big for me. We're a close family, and I was really struggling with what, reasons do i have to wake up every day so i wasn't thinking about the restaurant business how old were you at this time sorry to interrupt i'm just trying to paint that i lost i I lost them when i was 39 okay so i had my head in the sand while i was about 40 40 and a half years old and 
sitting at this coffee shop every day where I was down to 160 bucks, 160, $159, $152. I would literally go get one cup of coffee every day, and I would walk back to this little apartment that I was now living in. So I went from a six-bedroom, six-bathroom house to living in a dump with no car, nothing. I lost everything, equipment, everything. I lost the house. I lost everything. So I was sitting there, and there was an older gentleman, and I'll never forget this guy. He was probably in his 60s, and I remember he was married to a lady that was on, she was a, news, a top newscaster. And he would come every day and read a book. And he just looked at me and he said, hey, kid, where are you from? And I, one day I told him I was from New York, gave him a quick story. I'm like, how are you doing? This and that. So every morning when I see this man, he'd say, how you doing, Richie? Good morning. Hey, bro, how you doing? How you doing today? Good. And about eight months after him passing me a few days a week having my coffee and me sitting there getting to that $149 day, okay, which I'll never forget, he said to me, hey, Richie, he goes, are you looking to buy another restaurant? I guess somewhere along the journey, he asked me, you know, what kind of business are you in? He said, bars and restaurants, you know, contracting. I looked up at him, and I said, sure. Yeah. And he goes, good. Goes, All right, well, old, this old, old lady friend, Ruggieri, and he says this old Italian lady's name, is, uh, I think she's looking to go. Now, I had no idea what he was talking about because I really wasn't from where I'm living now, which is in Sherman Oak Studio City area. Okay. I was from the, I was from the Hollywood side. Well, the kid, there was a kid sitting with me who eventually became a friend. He's still my friend. He says, yeah, I know where this place is. And I see the guy says, yeah, it's down the street at this place, Toluca Lake. And I said, I don't even know what Toluca Lake is. And that's when the kid jumped in and said, I know where it is. And he said, can you take me there? He said, yeah. I said, okay. Take me later around dinner time. Let's go see this place. And he comes and picks me up later, and I always take a check with me. I never leave the house without a blank check in my pocket. And for me, we're driving over there, and this kid had known me for a few months, and he knew I was as broke as he was. And he goes, man, he goes, how the hell are you going to buy a restaurant if you don't, you don't have any money? I said, I got $149 in the bank. He goes, how are you going to buy a restaurant with $149? I said, listen, buddy. I said, I just lost my parents. And I said, right now, I got nothing to lose and everything to gain. I said, so I'm just gonna go in there and I'm coming out with I'm coming out with, with I'm coming out of there with a restaurant. If I walk in there and I like it, it'll be mine. He thought I was crazy. I walked in there, sat at the bar, I bought two Peronis, and I designed the bar in my in my head. And I designed it and scratched it out, and I knew exactly what I was gonna build. And I saw a vision. It was the first time my creative vision had come through in years because of the deal well, the cancer, and shit my parents. And, and I walked out of there. And before I walked out, I, I went in this closet where this lady was sitting playing uh, something on the computer. You know, the one of the games that people play on the mm -hmm. computer. I don't know what you call it. Solitaire or something. And I introduced myself to this old Italian lady. And she told me that the bar was sold. And then she said, that guy at the bar there. And I said, uh, no, nah. I said, I want to buy the bar. And, and she said, blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, I want to buy the bar. I said, has he given you a check yet? I said, no. I said, well, listen, then he hasn't bought the bar. Then she goes, well, I made a deal with him and, you know, da, da, da. So I just said to herself, give me five minutes. I went, I wrote $5,000 check out to her. I handed her the check. Now, I don't advise this for everybody, mm -hmm. but you do what you got to do sometimes to get your life back in order. I thought, what did I have to lose? I just lost my parents and I you know, couldn't figure out a way through. My friend saw me write the check off five grand. He said, what the hell are you doing? You're going to get in trouble. I said, don't worry about it. She'll never cash that check. I'll own the restaurant before she cashes it. 
And I gave her a $5,000 check. I said, here's $5,000. I wrote on the bottom of the check, deposit for business, uh, you know, at this address, this and the other. I gave her the check. For somehow, she thought I was crazy. I went up to the guy at the bar and I said, my grandmother's senile. I said, I'm her nephew. The restaurant's not for sale. And I sent him on his way. And I went back to her and said, you're not going to see him around here anymore. And I'd like you to sell me the restaurant. Here's my check. Now, crazy way in, right? <laughs> but what I, used, what I used in my life was the death of my parents to turn my entire life around, okay? Because my, my, from 20 to 30 and from 30 to 40, I was very different in my world than from 40 to 50, okay? Mm. I can't think of my accomplishments from 20 to 30 and 30 to, say, 39. But I can tell you all about my accomplishments post my parents died. So my motivation and drive and creativity to make that deal and all this other shit, okay? And how did the deal end up? I stole her for two weeks from cashing my $5,000 check. Then I gave her a $15,000 check, and I stole her again, okay? I did whatever I had to do, and then I did the one thing I never thought imaginable in my life. I picked up my first cell phone, the old Motorola flip phone, yeah. and I called every single person I ever met in my life on that phone. And I raised $400,000, okay, on the phone. And all I told them was anything I made up when I was sitting on that bar stool, nothing on paper, anything. And that's when I summoned up my, my gift for Gap, my ability to sell the deal, the art of the deal, to make people believe, to see my vision. I made enough people see my vision that I arrived with that money in escrow, okay, with the help of a friend to get my accounts and everything together. And I wound up, by the time I hit about 8 $9 left in my account, I had 400000 going into another account and then wound up closing a deal for $330,000. And I was off and running with 13, no, 11 people to finance that restaurant for me. And I was off and running. And I built and designed it on a dime. I did everything myself. I literally just took everything I could, 24 hours a day, opened up that restaurant, and I hit pay dirt with that restaurant, and that's what changed my, my life around. And what saved my life was my first restaurant bar, and um, that's what changed my life completely, but it also saved my life. So it set wow. me in the motion on my own in this business without any family assistance, without anything, and it saved my life from the death of my parents. It gave me a new life. It also grew me up. Um, until I opened that restaurant, I really didn't. I could tell I was not really a man, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't living the same life from 40 to 50 that I was living from 20 to 40, mm -hmm. you know. Easy town to get caught up in out here. Yeah. And I got caught up in it no different than actors and actresses get caught up in it. It's the same thing. I wasn't taking things. I lost my, I kind of lost my way and thought I had nothing but time in life, you know. But I realized that's not, gonna, that's not the truth. Look what happened to my parents. And they weren't at that grand opening, and they haven't been at the other 10 mm -hmm. since then. Wow, now man. they won't be here for these four. So four more without my parents there. But what did they give me? The drive and determination to get it done and the creativity and that business sort of discipline to get it done. So every time I build, design, and open something, I have a few tears before I show up at the grand opening, um, get it done. And then I just thank my parents on the way over there and I say, Thanks, you know, what can I do? You know, but they gave me everything I have today. So. That's, that was an incredible story, Richard. I mean, just that drive, that determinism, that can-do attitude, that creativity. And what 
I mean, one thing I just want to point out is most people, they see things like this, this huge wall that you scaled. And if anybody else saw that wall, they would say, no, that's not possible. But you say, how can I do this? Not, I can't do this. And whenever you ask yourself, how can, that's when the creativity just starts coming. And there's always a way around if you just get creative. And we can learn so much from that, that story. It was incredible. And now i got to get a story from you, Richard, that is just a time where you fell hard on your ass. Because we learn a lot about these success stories, and that was an incredible success story. But we learn so much from failures. And can you share a failure with us? Um, what makes me who I am today, and that's another thing people are going to learn about, in life you have many failures. And you need to have them. Mm-hmm. End of story. you got to have Absolutely. your failures in life as well as in the restaurant business. And as I say, somehow create, create, create a crazy way that you're going to be in this business for any portion of your life. You're going to find out your life and, and your personal, your business life and your personal kind of, they get a little intertwined and the trick is to figure out how to separate them for some element of your week, as I say, so you mm-hmm. can have a personal life. The, um, <laughs> I can share a recent story. For a, a hot shot like me, who's got nothing but press all over the place, okay? I just opened a restaurant about six months ago. And is this Merce Tavern? It's Merce. Okay. And Merce is a perfect example of, um, I don't know if you bleep stuff. No. How to fuck things up, <laughs> okay? You want to know how to fuck things up? Let me tell you how. Okay. Okay. And the worst part about it is I'm smart enough to know Merce was doomed before it opened because it was me that said on opening night to my publicist, this will never work. Mm-hmm. And she's like, give it a moment. I said, give it a moment. I don't have a choice. So multiple things can go wrong sometimes. I'll explain very quickly how to fuck things up. I brought in some new people, okay? And these people were in the higher positions, you know, like a chef position or a a higher management position. And they were, Murphs was actually supposed to be part of my four little picture deal here. But what happened with Murphs is not only was Murphs not ready to open when I opened, I had to open because of health department uh, timing. So like you only get 90 days out here to be closed down if you're in a space that was currently in a restaurant and you got to get it back open. One, we were running behind on the other two, closed closed that space down prematurely, which was a gold mine, the one I had there before that, to make way for, which was a little bit more of an elevated experience to play well with the other three that I was opening. And in the end, what happened was it wasn't ready to open. Me and the other powers that be on that project, even on the boss, even on the owner, we were in completely two different directions. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I was tired because I'm building and designing. I'm physically building and designing. So I'm worn out through the construction phases and building and designing, getting it all right, right down to the plate, to the cup, to the mug, to the stiff, that, and the other. I, just, I do it all. So I'm in there burnt out now, and here we are trying to get Murphs done, and I'm still in there welding. I remember we were welding, and there's people trying to get in right again in the front door. And I looked over at the guy that was doing some of the fabrication with me, and I told him, just let's, let's wrap this up. I said, this thing will be closed before this welding even cures. I said, it's not going to work. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Also, I said, this thing's not ready to go, and we shouldn't open it. And he said, don't open it. I said, I have to. I got to open the restaurant. I said, I have to. That's all I can say. So 
when you're not on the same page, okay, let's just say either with, uh, say, you're a, a guy that may be your director of operations or he may be your general manager in your one store, right, or <clears throat> so your chef or someone in the higher level that you entrust to run things that's going to be, you know, overseeing your day-to-day operations or your, 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 your overall culinary experience that's going to be happening. When you're not on the same page, things go wrong. Everything was wrong with Murphs. Everything. And I don't want to get into it because it would probably be unprofessional to say this, that, or the other. I understand. I hold myself accountable 100% to everything that went on with Murphs because at the end of the day, if you're the boss, you're responsible. That's it. So, but a lot of things went wrong, okay? One guy wanted to go one way, the other guy wanted to go the other way. So now you have the food program is not in line with the, the guest experience that maybe I want. And so culinary is off to the left. The guest experience is completely different to the right. How the kitchen is going to operate is not going to function the way we want it to operate. Everything was wrong. Everything from cocktails to training was not going well. And here we were being pressed to open. What I should have done was, I don't even know at this point, because it's already over and done. Yeah. At the end of the day, it shouldn't have been opened. I should have tried to negotiate maybe for more time to keep it closed and to think this through because I knew things weren't right. What happened was I let my exhaustion at that moment of opening and building and designing two other restaurants, it got the best of me. My advice is this, don't open anything until it's ready to open. Mm-hmm. But what Murph did do for me which is probably the best thing that's ever happened in my life, is that I somehow needed Murphs to open and then close in order for me to get to that next chapter of my life. Because what it did do for me was it opened my eyes up to the next level. I really can see that there were still things, that there was still slack in my rope and my journey. There was still slack. And even though you think you're tight as a drum, and even though you think this, that, and the other, the one thing about this business that I learned, and I was just reminded of it, you're never going to get a plaque. There'll never going to be an award of any kind. Okay, you won't be you won't be being honored for anything. This is not a business that you you sort of graduate from. You don't get any. There's no Super Bowl ring coming for this one. You never stop learning. The business never stops changing. Okay, and you can't master it. This is what told me that this was one that taught me what I love about this business. I don't think anyone ever saw a happier guy to close down a restaurant. Yeah, is there a little bit of egg on your face because you're being celebrated in the media, all over the place, top eight restaurants of 2014, number three bar in Los Angeles, 2014, this, that, and the other. And then, boom, something like a Murphs shows up. I have no problem letting Merce be a bright, shining example of what not to do again, okay, what not to do again. I assure you, Merce taught me about some of the things that I'll never let happen in my so life. So you found the slack, and you have your accountability. You're, you're taking that ownership, which is huge, because so many people, when they fall short, they start pointing the finger, but you don't do that. You're, you're owning this, and that's hugely admirable, but what was the slack that you that you discovered well the slack was the slack is created by maybe letting allowing yourself to to get a little tired or get a little bit complacent with things in in my particular case you hear you have a situation where it's my vision 
my concept, my vision, okay? And because I'm growing so fast and I'm opening four, building and designing and opening four places, okay, and what's going to be a year's to 12 months' time, that is about as ambitious as it gets, okay? Immerse is not that small of a room. It's a pretty big place or that space. What happens is you start to dole out responsibility to people and give other people greater responsibilities. Mm-hmm. In my case, what happened is I probably shouldn't have given so much responsibility and so much latitude to a couple of the powers that be because their vision, my vision, became a different vision for them. What mm-hmm. they started to say was, hey, we have another vision. We think we're going to do this. So along the journey, while I'm worrying about my other two places and I'm working over here, remember, they're both new. you got a lot of yeah. work going on 200 feet away. What happens is they started to pull left, and by the time, as I'm trying to steer the ship back in the other direction, it's too late. Yeah. And this is where this is where the case of egos getting involved. And... Again, it's, I gave the power to them to do this thinking. There were, it was a clear-cut vision, my vision, my concept, my everything, and it didn't go that way. So somewhere in there, I either did not make it clear that this is where we were going. I did not get those sign-offs that this is where we're going. Yeah. I, missed, I missed it, and I think the truth is I either missed it or I just got a little too tired in what was going on and you know, going through – all the building and designing and there's other stuff I have going on besides yeah. this project. So now, I, I, I think I just slipped. I slipped for a minute. Yeah. But it turned out to be the greatest thing that could have happened with Murph's turned out to be the best thing you know, that could have happened for me. There's no better way to wrap up this, this part of the interview by just saying, I think a lot of people, um, when they fail, they don't fail forward. And I think this is a perfect example of failing forward. Like you failed, but you're failing forward because you're, you're so much better because of the experience. And another thing that I want to commend you on, and I'm happy you, you shared the story because you failed fast. You realized it wasn't working and you got out so many times people, when things are just clearly not working, they stay in because they don't want to admit defeat. But at the same time, the longer you stay in it, the further into that spiral, like that death spiral you go, and it's harder to get out. And the faster you fail, the cheaper you fail. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but uh, I think the fact that you made that decision to get out when you did was extremely smart. And uh, here's, what people don't, here's what people don't understand in this business, or they don't want to understand this when the ego gets involved. Okay. Closing businesses is just as much a part of business as opening businesses. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's it. And there's no worse place in this business to be than purgatory. You see, the great thing about a business that's failing is that's clarity. We're Mm -hmm. failing. We're losing money. The great thing about a business that's doing well is we're doing great. We're making money. Okay? The worst place to be in this business is purgatory. Okay? You don't (laughs) know whether you're coming or whether you're going. And my advice is this. Purgatory, okay, you can give it a minute to turn the ship around and identify your problems, but if you don't, get out. For yeah. me, a closed merch now was the best thing I ever did. But, again, I was happy to close it. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a bright, shiny day in my life. But I also had a plan, mm-hmm. okay? You're not going to just close it without a plan. You remember, you're closing a business down. You've got accounts payable all over the place. You've got maybe $60,000, $80,000 in the street. You can't just close a business, screw your vendors over and all that stuff. I've got relationships with everybody. Yeah. So 
I would I would have closed Murphs earlier, okay. But I said I have to, and I have responsibility to people that have jobs that yep. count on me that have been with me for a long time. And my attitude is, I said to myself, because of what has been what I considered a bit of a failure on my part, okay, which which I I, I take full responsibility for. I said I'm going to have a game plan before I close. So I let my restaurant stay open for three months longer, losing money technically, and. And I said, I won't close it until I have an answer for all these people that gave it up for me, all this training and all of this stuff, and gave, their, gave up other jobs to come and work for me. I'm going to have something to tell them when I close this restaurant. Yeah. And I, I never saw such a happy staff to lose their jobs for three weeks or yeah. four weeks of my life. Richard, so you're, all... you're giving us such great advice. You really, really are. And I, I don't want to shut you down early because, I, I mean, everything that's coming out of your mouth is great. But we have to move on because we gotta we got to bust out this lightning round. And uh, you're just going to drop some bombs of knowledge on us. Are you ready to do it? Oh, fire away. All right. We will do it. But we just have to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. In the restaurant business, making money and saving money are the same thing. To be unstoppable, you need systems to control your costs. ChefSheet.com is a subscription-based inventory system that will empower your restaurant with the tools you need to reduce your costs by 2-4%. to And for super fast end-of-period inventory counts, use ChefSheet Mobile on all iOS and Android products. ChefSheet makes it possible for you to order, count, and send your orders to any vendor in the world in one step. Truthfully, how well do you know your food and beverage costs? Chef Sheep helps you keep track of all your play costs in real time. Keep track of your vendors too with real-time price tracking of everything you buy. Start using Chef Sheep for free today or upgrade to a premium plan. And if you do upgrade to a premium plan, Chef Sheep will send you a $30 Amazon gift card. Just email them unstoppable at chefsheet.com with your restaurant name. Get on it. All right, so we're back, uh, and the first question I have, the first bomb you're going to drop on us, Richard, is on the topic of uh, funding a restaurant. What's your advice for raising that capital? I think we already learned so much advice on this topic, but uh, what extra little piece of advice can you give us in this question? Well, for most people that are going to go make this their first go-around, I'd probably say that people, whether they're friends and family or other business colleagues of your dad or your mom or whoever you're going to get that money. It's usually more on the personal side the first time around. Okay. Mm-hmm. You usually know these people. And so you're going out there to raise your first, you know, few hundred thousand dollars to open your first little bar restaurant or something, whatever it's going to be. The, the reality of the situation is remember one thing, they're not investing in your idea. They're investing in you. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're, that's what they're really investing in. So they're investing in Eric or Mike or Susan and Susan's idea. So if there's anything that I could tell anybody is, you're going to get that money more on a personal note the first time. So you personally better make sure you understand that you need to to respect the money. Mm. Don't go into this half-assed. Make sure your concept, your design, you've got it all worked out, flushed out. Trip, measure three times and cut once because that's what's going to take to be successful. And remember, the business side of it. Don't go in and thinking just because you make a great steak and a great, some great fucking dessert that people are going to, that, that's not the business. Make sure it's worked out and don't go into this business unless you have restaurant experience, whether it's serving or waiting, this, that, bartending, managing. Mm-hmm. You've got to have that core stuff or you're going to miss the boat and you're not going to really know what to look for. Awesome. But, uh, so, okay, the next question I have is what advice do you have for hiring good people? Get to know them. Mm-hmm. When I interview people, which I still kind of do till this day, um, 
I mean, I'm probably sitting at 100, 165 employees right now just in this little pocket. you got to get to know them for a minute. It's what I like to do if I get involved, and once in a while I do, um, outside of management, even with the servers and bartenders. Let them talk for a while. Mm-hmm. Get, them, get them loose. Because once you get people loose and they start talking and flapping their gums, that's when you really get to know them. Mm-hmm. And you really want to you want to let them get them comfortable because that com- that person – that you may not be able to get comfortable today. We'll get comfortable at some point along the journey, mm-hmm. and 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 the better. You just want to have this best understanding about that person, and just make them comfortable in the interview. And I say keep the keep your interview process really relaxed and let mm-hmm. them talk. Get them so they're talking, so you really get to know them. I don't care who it is. And um, if you're in LA, don't hire all actors and actresses, or you're <laughs> going to be in trouble. So. Awesome advice. <laughs> so when you find these good people who will open up and will talk, and just the right fit for your restaurant, how do you keep them on your team? culture um they got to want to work for you um it's great leadership and um you know you can be fair and firm still have the respect of your employees um it's about creating a great culture someone they want to work for you're down you're sick in the hospital your team is there going let's do this for for our boss our leader because they really appreciate who they work for and stuff like that so building a great culture especially in a restaurant Business is imperative in order to create that great guest experience and that great sort of sort of family thing you want to feel when you're there. You want people to feel like they're family. At least that's that's what I come from. So I try to make them feel like they they really are part of the family. We preach family here a lot. What's the best way to make them feel like they're a part of the family? Acknowledgement. <clears throat> it's more than the money. It's uh, letting them know that they're doing a great job if they're doing a great job, and speaking to them. You know, not like a parent to a child, like in a, a person to a person mm. when you have to address something that may, maybe is more of the negative side of things, like you're unhappy with their performance or, or you're do, you think they're doing a great job and you want to let them know that, uh, you know, as much as you can that they've done a great job. Give them that pat on the back because that goes a, a long way. <clears throat> and being able to also take a negative moment in this industry and turn it into a positive. Awesome. All great stuff. So you sound like a smart guy, and I have a feeling – you uh, have been doing some reading in your life. So is there any book you'd recommend, whether it be a personal growth book, a business book, or a general restaurant book that's a must-read for somebody getting into this industry? Yes. All of you can rush out there and buy John Taffer's book, okay? Is that... And as stupid as it may sound, read John Taffer's book. Is that raise the bar? Yeah. Read the damn book, okay, and take it at face value just the way John is at very face value. But I'm going to tell you something else to read. Okay, a book called The E-Myth, The E, The E-Myth. Do not go into that book with any judgments, okay? It's by an author named Michael Gerber. Just read the first book, The E-Myth. There's lots of other spinoffs and lots of other books this this company sells. Read the book. Don't have anything in your mind when you read it. Don't get hung up any goofy words. Read the book. Mm-hmm. And if you can, maybe you should read it twice. That's a book that put me in check. And there was a guy who I see more of as a mentor type in this industry that told me to read the book. And he said, don't go into it any judgments. Read the book. The book straightened my head out. And mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the best books I think I've ever read. Biggest it's, lesson it's in that not, book. What is it? Excuse me? What was your biggest lesson from that book? Well, I'm going to tell you what he told me when I said, what's the best thing you got out of the book? And he said, Read the book. (laughs) 
Yes, it, uh, th- that book is incredible. Um, it, it is awesome, and it's in audio version too. Both those books that you mentioned are in audio. And one thing about John Taffer's book, I kind of went into that book skeptical because it's you see him on TV. I don't like watching a lot of the restaurant stuff on TV because it's all it's very a lot of it's staged. And um, that's one of the first things he addresses in that book is that there is an act going on. He has great advice in that book, and it's something you wouldn't expect if you watched the series. Um, it's a great book to read. Just su- such great advice um, all over the place in that book. And that's uh, yeah, but what, 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 yeah, but what John is saying is this. Forget the production itself. Forget the screaming and the yelling and this and the other. What John Chopper is saying, and he's not the only one. I go in as a consultant on, on restaurant projects as well. I do the same thing, okay? Just on a tiny, tiny level, okay? You walk in. If, you, if the culture is that your bartenders are leaving every night and there's fruit behind the things and there's syrup building up on everything and the fruit fries are there because nobody's cleaning it between the stainless and going underneath and scrubbing the tiles down and cleaning the floor stick and everybody walks by the napkin and some of the food that's spilled on the floor, that ain't going to fly. That's not a winning. What, what John is saying is the same thing any of us say. We're going to pick it up, do mm-hmm. the work. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's all about a culture, you see? That's the culture. Yep. And that's... That's what you need to get your head wrapped around. Get everything needs to be done. It, it's everything needs to be in its place and handled for a reason. It's sort of a discipline, yeah. the maintenance and the setup. And what we do, we do the same way every day. And when you don't, this is what begins to happen: the erosion and the culture, and everything starts to slide to the wrong, slide in the wrong direction. And before you know it, you're failing. Why are you failing? Because you're not doing all of the things you need to do to at least have a shot to be successful. Absolutely. And uh, both amazing books. Definitely 100% worth reading. You can get those books for free, guys. Go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable for a free 30-day trial. Get those books for free. You will be very happy that you did it. And both books only take about four hours to, to go through on audio. So totally worth it. So awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing those both with us, Richard. The next question I have for you is on the topic of marketing. What's one bomb on marketing you can drop on us right now? Oh, well, I come from the old school way of marketing. Still to this day, there is no greater marketing tool than, you know, than somebody telling somebody about the experience they had. You know, the power of word of mouth is amazing, okay? Okay, so if you're doing things more, say, uh, some of the projects they do, at some point you need a publicist. You know, write that narrative. You know, you want to have more control in a narrative. But for someone that's opening their first restaurant, you either use a publicist, a publicist that's well-versed to help you create this, to actually help you spell it out, the narrative. What's the story? We want to tell the story of our restaurant before people grab it and manhandle it and it's all over the road. You want to be able to tell your story. So that aside, the best way to market your restaurant, okay, is is to make sure every guest that walks in there has an amazing guest experience because at the end of the day, more than the food and all of this world of craft and these crazy words, mixology and this and and nose to tail and all of that stuff, let me tell you something. At the end of the day, what people care about is their experience at that restaurant. Did they make an emotional connection, have a great time? Do they want to come back there and will they tell their friends? Yes, they would if they have a great experience. Awesome. Guest experience supersedes everything. Awesome. Great stuff. So somebody who's opening 
a lot of restaurants, um, you're, you're fresh on what's going on out there as far as technology, tools, and you understand the importance of tools and systems because you read the E-Myth. So what are some of the tools and systems and technologies, whether front of house or back of house, that you're really leveraging in your restaurant that you want to share with us today that you've got a return on investment with? Okay, number one, get a decent point-of-sale system, okay, to back up all your work and, and so you know what you're doing. Okay, forget all of this you, using your systems, you know, here and there to solve a problem, put out fires. Hey, where's all the money going? Or, hey, let's go to the reports. No. Everything needs to be done in real time today. Use your point-of-sale systems, a good one. Don't buy any these cheap, shitty ones that, you know, there's a few good companies out there. Some of the newer ones, Two Touch and Revention, uh, these are the newer types coming out. You can grab your Micros and your Posi Touches and your Aloha systems. They all basically will get you what you need to do. Reports, information, all of the information is mm-hmm. in there if it's being inputted correctly. You need to have information. Without information, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Okay, you need to know what's going on on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute, no more than week-to-week sort of way of doing business. You can't be doing inventory, checking inventories every six months, and doing this and doing that, and figure out what your labor costs are and your food costs and this cost and that cost. You need to know what's happening moment to moment in this mm-hmm. business because it it goes sideways really fast. So you import. Everything's important into the, these technologies used to gather, that's gathering up all this information to you, okay? And it will be as accurate as its input as it's coming out. So get all the information in there and use it. Talk to people that have point of sale systems, don't use them, okay? They're not pulling reports. They're not going over stuff. They're not having weekly meetings or daily, biweekly meetings to see what's going on and tracking everything. You need to stretch, track it now because if you spend six, eight, ten months after you open your business and then all of a sudden say, where's all the money? Hey, we spent this much money on food this week, but we, we spent $5,000 on food purchases this week, okay? But we only did 7000 in business. And, and food sales, All right, You might want to think about something here. you got a problem, you know. So <clears throat> you need to start using all this technology, okay. Um, I, the least technologically sound guy there is, <laughs> I'm cut from the old school. I look at a cell phone and I want to punch it, you know. To me, you know, it goes about as far as a Rolodex is what, what I call the thing in there. But listen. Everything is used in-house, okay? For me, I have a central office that oversees all of my brands, and everything's funneled into that office, and there's a small army of people handling things day-to-day. We meet every week. We stay on top of things daily. We jump on things now. If you don't, you'll be out of business and wondering where the hell your money went, you know? Mm-hmm. You need to know everything. So use, use the technology. Don't just install it and use it to ring up cocktails, okay, and ring up food. Use it to break down the where everything is going, start tracking everything week to week, week to week, day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, how to staff up. That stupid computers can take literally are the e-ticket to figure out how to staff up, how to, to, to redesign everything you're doing. It can do a lot for you, you know. You awesome. have to find a way to make the creative part and the business side come together. So point-of-sale systems are much Everything after point of sale systems and things like open table and all that stuff, depending, again, on your type of brand, you know, it's it, what's what's suitable to your brand is how much technology you're going to use. What's what kind of guest experience? What kind of what kind of um, experience is it going to be for your people that are working there? Are they carrying around tablets to each table and ringing stuff up at tables? Are they are are your people going up to uh, the bar and ordering food? So it, it depends all on the different type of brand that somebody's opening and, and how it, how it's set up. 
awesome how much stuff. technology you're going to use. Man, you're just killing it today. I, I'm just keeping my mouth shut and letting you run because uh, you are definitely a knowledgeable dude. Awesome, awesome stuff. So the next question I have for you, we're almost ready to wrap it up, is if you could go back in time to that, that point where you bought your first restaurant and um, you know you could just give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Well, listen, I bought my first restaurant on my own in 2004, okay? I was with you know, my family and nightclubs and everything in New York starting in 78. I was very young, 15, 16 years old. The drinking age was 18. We were already in the bars working. I was thrown into this in a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. So one thing my uncle tried to tell me, and actually the, the place that's replacing Murph's, I'm naming it Downtown Johnny's. It's an homage to my uncle, Johnny Boy, that got me started in this business, got my whole family started in this business back in 78. Um, on another level, nightclubs, bars, more contemporary stuff. And the one thing he tried to tell me is, don't get caught up in this thing, you know? It's a business. And the sooner you know that, the better, okay? Because everybody be take, everybody's taken. Money's passing through lots of hands, lots of moving. The more moving parts and pieces, the more trouble is going to be and the more confusion. It's a business. Mm-hmm. You need to treat it like a business. I didn't get that so quick early on because you know what happens when you're younger? Mm-hmm. You get caught up in it. You get caught up in the fun train. And then the, getting caught up in a fun train costs a lot of money, and sometimes it'll cost you your whole business, or it costs you your, it costs you your house, your cars, everything. I can't say it's ever been that for me, but I know what it's like to, to still nonetheless fail and how to screw things up or not, you know, kind of get what I put into this thing. There's money all over the place, and you need to run it like a business. Everybody thinks the restaurant business is different than a business business. No, you need to run it no different. Than, well, you got to run like a bank. That's it. You need to know where everything's going. You got to run it like a business. It's a business. Don't get caught up in anything other than this is a business. You got it. You're gonna learn that real fast when all your friends start coming in and all your family members. (laughs) Great advice. And is there any question I could have asked you to have add more value to this interview? Well, there is a question you should probably put on this thing if you're really into this whole restaurant thing, okay, bars, restaurants, nightclubs, all of this stuff. This would be a question in here where you, you ask it's the ask yourself a question. You ask yourself if you really have your personal life in order. Mm-hmm. Because this business has a funny way of consuming your whole life if you let it. Okay? And again, refer to the E myth if you haven't read it when it talks about that. You 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 have to not let this business be your whole business. Or you can say goodbye to your wife and then your wife and your kids when she takes the kids and leave and all this other stuff. Relationships get ruined. Friendships get ruined. Okay? Do you have your personal life in order? Because if you don't, you're really up Shit's Creek when you open a bar and a restaurant, especially if they're trendier types of things. And because you're working so many hours and then you become a control freak. So do you have your own house in order before you start taking on the work of another one? Awesome stuff. You've been, you've been incredible, Richard. Um, and we're going to wrap it up. We do that by having you call somebody out. Who's one restaurant professional you admire and think would make a great guest mentor just like you did for us today? Well, I'll tell you a guy right here in Los Angeles. He's over in the West Hollywood, Beverly Hills side. And he's the man when it comes to that Almost, I don't want to say that anti-Beverly Hills, sort of West Hollywood, you know, over-the-top sort of thing. He's Mr. Hospitality, and I learn from this guy every time I'm in his restaurant. 
and his name is Joey Sabato, Joseph. And, you know, he once told me something. We were talking, and I said, uh, you know, this whole thing, it's after a while with the craft cocktails and the mixology and craft and this, the craft, if I hear the words craft mixology one more time, it's killing me because it's kind of killed the industry in, in, to some degree. And him and I were laughing. And I told him, I told him about a, a bartender that I was fed up with. And this is the day I started really thinking about what it is that he does. I said, a bartender of mine that I hired was still got a little snobby and uppity with a customer because a customer in one of my nicer places asked for something like a Cosmo. And he made like he didn't make the Cosmo because it was beneath him, he thought, coming from some of the places he came from. And I caught wind of this. And I, this guy no longer works for me. And I told him this story. And I remember Joey saying to me, he goes, listen, man, I'm over on this side and you're on that side. Imagine what it's like over here. One of my customers wants a Cosmo. I'm going to make them the best fucking Cosmo they ever had. And that's our way over here of saying... Nothing is beneath us. Nothing. That's hospitality. You remember, don't ever lose sight that this is about the customer and it's not about you and your own personal bullshit. You can talk craft mixology shit and all this other crap all you want. This is about guest experience. Don't ever make the customers feel stupid. We're in a hospitality business, forgotten art. And that's one thing him and I agree on. He's one guy I look up to. The church key is his, his place is called the church key. And he does hospitality the best. He's the best at it, and I look up to him, and I always think about what he's doing, what I'm doing. I go, that's the guy I want to be like always when you're in the hospitality business, Joey Sabato. And he knows how to do it better than anybody in, in this town, I think. Joey Sabato, look out, brother. I'm coming after you. I cannot wait to get you on the show. Richard, man, you've been so incredible. Um, if, just let the folks at home know how we can connect with you. If they want to come work for somebody like you who's just filled with this energy, this work ethic, this <laughs> everything, um, you're somebody I would work for if I was over on the West Coast. So how can we connect? Well, you better not call me unless work is in your work ethic, let me tell you. But um, for me, I mean, if people want, somebody wants to hit me up, they can just email me at RJ. Desisto at Yahoo. Just keep it real personal. R J D I S I S T O at Yahoo. Now you got a direct line to me. Awesome. Great stuff. I will have links, everything in the show notes. www.restaurantunstoppable slash Richard Desisto. Richard, there's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. Ciao. Every once in a while, the episode goes a little bit over an hour, but you know what? When you have people on this show, like Richard DeSisto, you just let it go, and I'm so happy I let him go because he gave us some great advice. If you guys enjoyed this episode, you know what to do. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, and I will do anything and everything possible to get your suggestions on the show if they are a good fit. Also... You heard it today, reading's important, and one of the books you need to read is The E-Myth. You can get this book for free by going to www.audibletrial.com unstoppable to get that free audio book today. 
And you'll learn so much about the importance of implementing systems, processes, and procedures into your business. I know he said, you know, just read it, and he's right, just read it. But it's so important, and when you do this, you buy time. And if you're interested in some of the tools that are out there, some of the tools that my guest mentors are personally recommending, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash tools. You will find a complete list of all the tools my past guests have recommended. Uh, get on it. It's totally worth it. Like always, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, peace out.